This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Did you bring your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. And I think most of us are acquainted with this. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Wow. There's a lot there. First, I want you to notice that proving what the perfect, good, and acceptable will of God is involves presenting your bodies. Being transformed and not conformed in your minds also involves your bodies because your body is going to play out what's happening in your mind. And he begins by saying, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, he's offering us this incredible mercy that you present yourself, you surrender yourself. It's a sacrifice. You've given it up. You've offered it. To God, what kind of sacrifice? Holy. The only way that we can have the Holy Spirit is to present ourselves as a holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is reasonable. Now, I think the main purpose of this seminar is that we might plead for the filling of the Holy Spirit. When a person is... uh, they lose their temper and they're angry and they're full of anger. What controls them? Anger. If a person has fallen in love and they're full of love, what controls them? You know, how they plan their time and, and how they plan where they go and, and uh, how they spend their money. It's all being governed by this person they have fallen in love with. They're full of love. And when a person is full of the Spirit, what controls them? It's the Holy Spirit that's controlling them. You know, I'll just, um, I'll be very open and honest with you in our time that we have together. I think that um, the Lord has a, a very interesting sense of humor in that before I ever came to this seminar or knew what the theme was, Uh, the desire of my life has been to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, more so than usual. And I probably ought to encourage you a little bit by making it clear right now that you don't get filled with the Holy Spirit one time. And I'm convinced everybody here has experienced the Holy Spirit in some degree. Uh, When you're baptized, the promise that Peter says... Repent and be baptized. This is Acts chapter 2. Matter of fact, why don't we turn there real quick. 
Go to Acts chapter 2. And they said, what shall we do? This is verse 38. Peter said, Acts chapter 2, 38, I hear the rustle of the pages. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive, you might, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, promise of what? Promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is to you and your children and to all who are afar off and as many as the Lord God will call. That covers everybody. God has made a promise of the Holy Spirit to everybody. If you repent of your sins and you come to Christ for baptism and you want to live a new kind of life, He has promised to give you the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in our life that convicts us of sin. How many of you have been convicted of sin before? I hope every hand goes up. Thank you. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to resist temptation. It's that power of the Spirit. Everything you need for the Christian life comes through the Holy Spirit. But I think when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we all picture maybe what happened at Pentecost. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But uh, that baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was unique. Now, the filling of the Spirit happened many times after Acts chapter 2. You can read in Acts chapter 4. I think it's verse 32. The place where they prayed was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Didn't always speak in tongues. So even after they were baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, that wasn't, they didn't just get like filled up like some kind of oil tank that's sealed and they just went around the rest of their life filled and sealed. The Holy Spirit tends to seep out and you need a constant filling every day. The Spirit is like um, oil in a lamp and it burns and you've got to keep adding kerosene to the lamp. And so Christians need an ongoing filling of the Spirit. And then we're talking about being cleansed by the Spirit, which is different again from the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. Now, we might all pray for the latter rain at this meeting. I think that we've been counseled to do that. I think both in the Word of God and the the, um, Spirit of Prophecy But that's something that's connected with a time that is in God's keeping. God has a time on his calendar when he is going to pour out the Holy Spirit in latter rain power. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, did God schedule that? Or did that just happen because they prayed? Well, maybe a little of both, but it was according to God's schedule. Remember Jesus said, Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. When did it come? Exactly 50 days. Christ died at Passover. 50 days after Passover, Pentecost. Penta means 50. It was a special Jewish holiday. It fell right when it was supposed to fall, during the time of the former reign. And so it was in God's calendar. But for us to be filled with the Spirit, as they were in Acts chapter, two, uh, Acts chapter 4, where they were all praying that they might have boldness to preach... Did the, did the Holy Spirit come on the disciples before Pentecost? In the upper room when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Did they get a measure of the Holy Spirit then? Do you get your, the Holy Spirit at baptism? K 
Can you get the Holy Spirit after baptism? Can you get the Holy Spirit before baptism? All right, let's talk about that. Cornelius, in um, chapter 10 of Acts, the Roman centurion, Peter comes to him and he preaches to him and while he hears the word, the Holy Spirit fell on them. They began to speak in tongues and they had the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That was one of the fruits of the Spirit. Speaking, actually not one of the fruits, one of the gifts. Don't confuse it with one of the fruits. Some people do that. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit came at the time of baptism. He came up out of the water and the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was spirit-filled. By the way, what does the word Christ mean? Christ is Christos. It means anointed in Greek. The Messiah is the anointed in Hebrew. Jesus, if he was anything, he was the anointed, the anointed. Anointed with what? The Holy Spirit. When did he especially get the Holy Spirit? It says that uh, 27 A.D., at the 483 years after that prophecy in, in Daniel chapter 9, to anoint the most holy, I'm talking Daniel chapter 9 now, how many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking to you like you have some Bible background. That prophecy in Daniel 9 about when the Messiah would come, you know how it identified him? It says, and to anoint the most holy. You track that time, that was 27 AD. That's Jesus' baptism. That's when he began his public ministry. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in a special way. Did Jesus not have the Holy Spirit before his baptism? Of course he had the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, when did he first get the Spirit? <laughs> from his mother's womb. He, John the Baptist was leaping around inside Elizabeth when Mary came to visit. So here you've got a spirit-filled fetus. So God can give the Holy Spirit to anybody, anytime. And so I think everybody here has had a measure of the Holy Spirit working in their lives at different times. And I hope that uh, you all experience that now. Now, I'm just talking to you from my heart. You know what the greatest prerequisite is for you receiving the Holy Spirit? You've come this weekend. Some of you have come hundreds of miles. How many of you live in Houston? Got a few. Bless your hearts. We're glad you came. <laughs> Some of you have come from California. Some of you. How many of you have come from overseas? Bless your heart. Look at that. You know, Jesus said when they came looking for John the Baptist, he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Why did you go looking for John? Because there was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit and people were hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So why did you come to GYC? I think because we have an inner... Well, some of us maybe came because that's where all our friends and young people are going to be. It's an exciting meeting. But I think at the heart of it, I'd like to believe... You came because you want to be serious about being a real Christian. And you've come looking for that. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. The single most important prerequisite to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait, not going to tell you yet. I just, I'm like three pages away from finishing a book. 
And you might make a note because uh, you'll forget about it. The book's about 100 years old. Um, bear with me. Billy Graham had a mentor, a Baptist preacher named Vance Havner, great revivalist, spirit-filled preacher. I was listening to some old tapes. I drive in my car and I listen to sermons on MP3s by Vance Havner. Vance Havner said he read a book that changed his life. I said, I want to know what that book is. And it was a book called The Deeper Experience of Famous Christians. The Deeper, and I think it's by a guy named Lawson. I can't remember the name. The Deeper Experience. And what he does is he goes through the experience of great men and women of God who were filled with the Spirit. People like D.L. Moody, like George Mueller, like um, John Wesley and George Whitfield and uh, Spurgeon and a number of others. Uh, just great, uh, great revivalists. People like Thomas Kempis. And, uh, how did they receive the filling of the Spirit? So I've been wanting to read... What was it the people who were spirit-filled, what did they read? Now, during this series, we have a special reverence for not only the Word of God, but we have great respect for the spirit of prophecy and the writings of Ellen White. But don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. How many here know that Ellen White did not just read Ellen White? Ellen White also read some of the great reformers. And I'm wanting to go to the source of the spring. I'm talking about not only the scriptures, of course, but what were these people reading that led them to getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And you know, one common denominator that I've discovered, and here it is, I told you the most important thing. You have to come to the place where there's nothing in the world that you want more than to be full of God that you are willing to surrender and sacrifice everything that you might be full of God. And that really is your reasonable service. Because if you have God, what else do you need? If you don't have God, what else would be a substitute? If you could be full of God, be full of His Spirit, and you know, you're talking about a life that is full of joy a life that is full of power, a life that is full of peace, a life that is full of purpose, if you could be full of God, then what would be more important than that? That would be our greatest need. Now, you've all heard this quote before, and I'm going to read it to you again. And this is from First Selected Messages, page 121. It might even be in our opening booklet by Ellen White. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. That was true then, it's more true today. To seek this should be our first work. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first a revival of primitive godliness. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of God. Notice, why do we have to make an earnest effort? Because God has his arms folded and his back turned. No, there must be an earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we're unprepared to receive it. 
Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to those that ask Him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it's our work. By confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us His blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. While the people are so destitute of God's Holy Spirit, they cannot appreciate the preaching of the Word. But when the Spirit's power touches their hearts, then the discourses given will not be without effect. This needs to be our greatest, most earnest desire. What we think, I think we all long for is holiness. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. In our world today, how can we experience holiness? How can we present ourselves as a living sacrifice? And what kind of sacrifice? A holy sacrifice. In the Bible, in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, there's a very short, simple story, but it uh, paints a very vivid picture of what we all can experience, what we must all experience. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And it came to pass, he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. This is written by Dr. Luke, and so when Luke says full of leprosy, he means it's physically advanced. It's covering him. He's in the last stages, but evidently he's still mobile. Who seeing Jesus, he fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, when you read this story in some of the other Gospels, he starts out, he sees Jesus afar off and he comes to him. And you know, lepers, of course, they had this disease. They knew even in Bible times it was contagious. If a person got leprosy, they were put outside the camp. It's a disease that affects your sensitivity. In your extremities, you begin to lose the sensation in your nerves. And you stop feeling pain. I used to think the reason I saw lepers in India and Africa and different places is because as you had leprosy, somehow you just dissolved from the outside in. Your fingers and toes and nose fell off and, and you eventually die because you disintegrate. That's not at all how it works. They lose the sensitivity in their fingers and their toes and they could be burning or banging or crushing them and normally you'd pull your hands away and you don't know it. And they injure them, and through infection, they lose their extremities because they lose the sensation in their nerves. You know, pain is a good thing. When you stop feeling, it can sometimes mean that you are very sick. If you're not feeling that sin is sin, when you stop feeling conviction for sin, People sometimes come to me and they'll say, Pastor, you know, I joined the church 20 years ago and I was baptized, but I still had this sin in my life I was convicted about. And you know, none of the things that are in the baptismal certificate, but just there is something there that was bothering me and and it just caused me sleepless nights. And now here I am 20 years later, I'm still in the church, I still have that sin. problem is it just doesn't bother me anymore. You can get used to it You can quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit, kind of like living by the railroad tracks, or in my case, you can get a room right by the elevators. And when you first check in, you notice it, but by the next day, you have to think about it, and you don't notice it. 
Or it's like pressing the snooze button on the alarm clock. Pretty soon you can sleep through the alarm ringing full strength. How many know what I'm talking about? It's like buying a house at the end of the runway at some airport. After you first move in, you think, what in the world did I get myself into? And then it gets to the place where it's not until guests come over and say, how can you stand the noise? You remember that there is such a noise. The Holy Spirit reminds us of sin. And when we pray, matter of fact, when you first come to the Lord, it's painful to the point where it's like living in the dark and the lights are turned on and you just want to turn away and close your eyes because it hurts. I had surgery on one of my eyes a couple of years ago. And... Uh, one of the side effects of that was, I don't know why both eyes, but both eyes became very sensitive. I only had surgery on one eye, but both eyes became very sensitive to light. And uh, sometimes it's so bad, I'll put on two or three pairs of sunglasses when I'm driving. Because otherwise I just can't, I can't drive. It's just so bright. And uh, in the morning when you first get up, it takes a while to get used to the light. That's how it is when you first discover the truth. There's almost this sensitivity, this pain. And what God wants you to do then is to come to Him and to pray and to ask for victory and to see Him making these changes in your lives. But don't just get used to the dark. Don't turn the lights back off. You don't want to lose the sensitivity. This man came to Jesus, and as he came, this leper, people probably began to fall back and fan out run away, leave a big void. But Jesus stood there. And he came and he knelt before him and he prayed. And his one prayer was, he said, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. Very simple prayer. And Jesus said to him, I will be thou clean. And immediately, the leprosy departed. Now, what, what is leprosy a type of in the Bible? How many of you know the story of Naaman who got leprosy? He was dying. And he was told if he would go see the prophet that is in Israel, he could be cleansed from his leprosy. And Elisha, who is a type of Christ, he sent a messenger to him and said, go wash in the Jordan River. This is 2 Kings chapter 5. Go wash in the Jordan River seven times and your skin will come to you again. And Naaman, at first, he didn't want to do that because that would mean humbling himself. Washing this dirty Jordan River. They had much cleaner rivers back in Damascus. But the Jordan is a type of baptism, isn't it? It's a type of living water. They crossed the Jordan when they entered the Promised Land. And he went down, he took off his armor and he took off his clothes and he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times and probably every time he dipped. It wasn't really washing away his leprosy or any kind of physical dirt. His problem was pride. And every time he dipped himself, he had to humble himself. You know the Jordan River is the lowest river on earth? Did you know water runs downhill? The Holy Spirit runs downhill also. Like water, the Holy Spirit always runs into humble hearts. And I think it's interesting that John the Baptist baptized at the lowest point on earth. And John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. 
emptying ourselves is what makes us the best candidates for receiving the Holy Spirit. Humbling ourselves before God. I'll say more about that later. So this leper comes to Jesus. And Naaman, of course, he came out of the water after seven times. And not only was his flesh restored to him, and that word flesh restored means he may have been missing some of the digits in his extremities. Fingers came popping back into place. People ask, do you feel anything when you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, you shouldn't pray for the Holy Spirit looking for a feeling, but if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll probably feel something. That woman who reached out in faith, who had been bleeding for 12 years and touched Jesus, immediately she felt within herself that she was healed. And people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, I remember being, I'm not standing before you claiming to be one who has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I I think I've been filled several times along the way. And if not for my sake, for the sake of those who are listening, but I was up in the mountains one time when I was a baby Christian. First time I was reading the 490-year prophecy and it dawned on this mind that had been so clouded by drugs. I finally understood that prophecy about Jesus' first coming. I was all by myself up in the mountains, never been to an Adventist church. I was reading the book by Stephen Haskell, talking about Daniel the prophet. I had been reading uh, Uriah Smith, and I was living up in the mountains, naked in a cave, and I finally understood that prophecy. I got so excited, I couldn't sit down. I just started jumping up and down. It it looked like a holy dance, I'm sure. A holy dance with no rhythm, I'll tell you right now. So it's a good thing there was no video that day. But I just could, I was just praising God out loud, and that's just not like me. I was so excited to realize Jesus came right on time the first time, and he's going to come again right on time, that I just, I had to tell somebody. So that feeling of being filled with the Holy Spirit and that joy, there is nothing like it. And you know, the amazing thing is when I had that experience, I was about as poor as you could be. I mean, I I was what some people would classify as homeless, though I felt I had a home. But, um, you know, living out of a backpack up in the mountains. And I was so happy. The Holy Spirit brings joy into your life. If you could live in a mansion and be miserable, or not have anywhere to lay your head, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord, which would you want? Think about it. Which would you really want? One time Jesus said to a man, he came to Jesus, that rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10, said, Lord, what good thing must I do that I might have eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but one, and that's God. But if you would enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, which one? And Jesus began to recite the Ten Commandments to talk about our relationship with our fellow man. He said, oh, I've kept all these from my youth up. He said, okay, you really want to go to heaven? You really want to be spirit-filled? He said, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and take up your cross and follow me. He had come to the GYC meeting. He said he wanted eternal life. And Jesus said, are you willing to surrender everything, to make your life a living sacrifice, to put everything on the altar? He went away. He still had his bank book. He still had his pride. He still had his sin. He didn't have the joy of the Lord. Some people go to the Lord and they think they want it. But when he says, all right, 
it's going to cost everything. They change their minds. How much does it cost to be full of God? A man is out plowing in his field. It's not his field. The problem is he's actually rented the field. And his plow turns up a box. And he opens the box, and the box is full of treasure. But he's an honest man. He's rented the field. Technically, someone else has the mineral rights. But they don't know what they've got in their field. So he goes back to his wife. He says, you know that field that we're leasing for farming? Yeah. He says, we're going to buy the field. She says, we can't afford that field. He says, well, you know, if we sell the house... She says, that's not enough to buy that field. No, if we sell the house and the cow and the donkey, that's not enough to buy that field. She says, no, wait, but if we sell the house and the cow and the donkey and liquidate all of our savings, we can then buy the field. She says, you really expect me to do that? What, why would you want that field? It's not very good soil and it can't be worth that much. She says, trust me. So... He didn't want to tell everybody about the treasure. He just says, dear, trust me. And he sells the house, does a quick sale. Sells the cow, sells the donkey, cashes in what little money they have. He goes to the man that owns the field. His wife is sobbing and crying and saying, what's come over him all the way? Have a garage sale. They sell all their furniture. She thinks, what have you brought us to? You're going to bring us to poverty. We'll have nothing. He says, trust me. They finally, they take all their loot, they get it all together, and they go to the man that owns the field, pays for the field, signs the deed. He says, okay, the field is mine. The field is yours. The field is yours. And everything in the field is yours. He brings his wife, gets the kids. They go back to the field. He kicks back the stone that he had uh, dug up that covered the treasure pulls out this leather-clad box, opens it up, and there it's full of gold and gems and money. Now she says, hey, that's a good deal. That's why I married you. (laughs) How much did it cost him? Everything. And you know the other story. A merchant who's looking for good pearls, he finds a pearl that he recognizes has just incredible value. True story. I think it's been about five years ago. Antique store, Rhode Island, a man named Alan Golash, digging through a basket of costume jewelry, but he had an eye for things that were of value. He was a collector himself. He spotted a brooch. He went to the proprietor and he said, What do you want for this old brooch? And he looked at the front and he looked at the back and he said, $15. said, okay. Handed him $50, got his receipt, walked out. Took the brooch over to a uh, jeweler's store, got out his glass and looked at it. It was real gold. It wasn't fool's gold. It had real diamonds. They were not glass. And in it were set two cohog purple pearls. Very rare. Had it appraised for $2 million. Bought it for 15 How do you think he felt that day? 
You make a good deal? True story. This merchant finds a pearl of great price. He sells everything to get one thing, a pearl. The other man sold everything to buy that one field. If you really want the Holy Spirit and you mean business with God, you need to first and foremost, in your heart, come to the place. And you know, if you do this this weekend, then you can expect to receive the Holy Spirit. You've got to come to the place where you say, Lord, not I, but Christ. And if there's anything in your life that you know is an obstacle to your being filled with the Holy Spirit, most of the time those things crop up in idols that we've got that are in the place where Jesus should be. You need to pray that God will give you strength to pull those idols down. Before the Lord could deliver Gideon and the Israelites from the Midianites, God told Gideon, I'm going to use you to do great things. I'm going to fill you with my spirit and my power. I'm going to give you victory. But we need to have a talk. Right here on your family ground and in your town, you've got an altar to Baal. So before I'm going to pour out my spirit, you've got to pull down that altar. So if you have any altars in your life, if there are sins that you are clinging to, hoping that the conviction will go away and it won't bother you anymore, that's leprosy. You don't want that. You want to say the Lord will take it from you. Amen? Then bring those things to the Lord and be serious with them. So Jesus said to this leopard, I will be thou clean. Just got to watch my time here. What time am I supposed to? We're supposed to. No, 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 no. But I'm supposed to take a five minute break at 10 30. Is that right? I'm getting close. Jesus said to him, I will be thou clean. Now, what does that mean? Does the Lord want us to be clean? And when Jesus says, be thou clean. What does it mean when God says be? How did the Lord make the world? On the first day, what did God say? Let there be. There's creative energy when God says let there be. When the Lord said let there be vegetation, let there be cosmic bodies, let there be creatures, let there be. And when Jesus says I will, be clean. When Peter says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy. You know, that's not just a command, that's a promise, isn't it? In a command like that from God, to be holy, inherent is the power to be a new creature and to be holy. That's wonderful news. And after Jesus spoke those words, immediately the leprosy departed from him. How long does God make us wait if we sincerely come to him, we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I believe that you can save me from my leprosy. I believe that you can save me from, not in. Jesus didn't say, be cleansed, and the man felt better but went away a leper. He said, be cleansed, and he was clean. And the Lord can cleanse us from our sins. Do you believe he can do that for you? Tell you what, we're going to take a break. I want to pray that prayer with you right now. Then we'll take a break.
Father, first and foremost, as we are studying this very sacred subject of the Holy Spirit and talking about just the, the essentials, the cru- crucial truths of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we want to come to you right now and say, Lord, we believe that if you're willing, you can make us clean. And now we trust that you are willing and you're saying, be clean. Right now, Lord, I pray that every person here might experience that in our lives. In fact, if there's any hesitancy, it's not because you're not willing. It might be because we're coming reluctantly. Lord, maybe we need to pray, make us willing to be willing to be completely surrendered. Whatever it's going to take in our lives, Lord, help us to be completely emptied of self that that Holy Spirit might run into our lives. Really, it's you in our lives. So please bless us to that end. Help us to experience not conformity to the world, but the transformation of mind we're looking for. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.